So, Allison, I'm coming to you today. We're approaching election season with a real, real plea to our listeners like and to you. Have you called your congressman, your senator about arguably one of the great issues of our time? Oh, no. No, tell me more. Panda diplomacy. This is a matter near and dear to my heart. It's involves Tian Tian, Mei Ziang, Zhao Qiji. Um, those are just the pandas at the Washington National Zoo. But, you know, all of our pandas are being deported back to China, like China is requesting them back. And I'm just very concerned, like, how do we move forward as a nation with no pandas? Honestly, I see a really beautiful future for them as expats. I want to believe that they'll, you know, watch American TV shows. They'll stay connected through things Excuse like, me. you know, defunct Facebook accounts. I don't know. I think this could be really positive. No. Okay, maybe <laughs> I'm just a constituency of one, but I'm I'm upset. And like, if only Julie was here. If, and- if Julie was here, this would go differently for sure. It would go differently. And as Mariah might say, like a hero comes along. Like, Julie, if you're out there, help me. Welcome, everyone, to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison, and I'm still not the girl of the year. I mean, not yet. I mean, I think that candidacy, you know, once again, we've been passed over. And (laughs) how do you feel about that? You know, I get a catalog. It says, you know, to our dearest Horrocks family, I flip to the front and I see a beautiful photo, right? A wonderful spread by Five Hens and a Cockatiel, Sydney Rose Paulson. Excellent. Shout out. Once again, though, I don't see, you know, a portrait of me. I don't see myself as girl of the year. You know, I mean, don't stop believing, as I've said to myself about the pandas being removed, which I am genuinely upset about. Um, And, you know, I don't even have a catalog, like not to come on to this episode at a 10, but I don't even (laughs) have a catalog. So I don't know what to do with that. Like what happened, American girl? So there are issues of very serious and acute emergency, such as immigration policy. And then somewhere like a mile down the list, there's panda diplomacy. And then there's, you know, 18 miles later, me not being girl of the year. I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, am I slightly more upset about the pandas at this moment? Yes. Is that is that by any means like the biggest foreign policy or national international incident going on right now? Absolutely not. I mean, I bring up the pandas mainly because it's been on my mind since we started the Julie book. And then I want to get into the catalog, which has a lot of gems in it. This edition, not that I know, because, again, (laughs) I have issues, but I don't have an issue of this catalog as of yet. Maybe today it came in the mail. I don't know. But um, Pat Nixon was the first person to receive a panda, like the first like president or first lady. And she received it like in the Julie era as a sign of friendship. And initially, China would give pandas as like a sign of friendship, like no strings attached, whatever. Like, I think we got one from Chiang Kai-shek, which is like complicated for other reasons I won't bore you with. But then China was like, well, actually, like you can only have them for two years. And then like any pandas born, like we take back because we have to preserve that population. It's like, okay, maybe. But Allison, we're living in a world where they offered Taiwan pandas and people in Taiwan were like, no thanks, not interested, obviously a lightning rod. And China was like, anyway, we're still gonna offer you pandas. 
but we're going to let people in China pick the name of this baby panda that we're going to give you. And the people of China, like, named it Unity, which feels like trolling. So I'm just saying, like, pandas are fraught. It's a lot. Like, I would hope Julie would care about this. Maybe in her own time she did. I don't know. But there's no panda accoutrement in the catalog. From what I'm going to guess from you, I think I'm going to join you on their website and we can kind of like pick some things that we would be excited to get. So there was that short-lived series, right, World by Us, where there was an American girl-made character, right, who wanted to talk about ethics and immigration. I don't get that from Lila. I think Lila just has some other topics that are near and dear to her. Loving the fact that she's a horse girl, right? But they're like, love that. She's a horse girl and a corgi girl, right? So that's kind of like her top two. Our girl of the year, uh, who we meet on the very first page, from horseback riding to competitive gymnastics, our newest girl of the year does all things with sparkle. Wow. I feel like somebody, like, there was a toss-up and then someone heard Bejeweled off of someone's iPhone and they said, that's it. Like, that's the hook that puts all of this together. She has merch. Like, she has her own special bodysuit and, like, gymnast accessories. She wears a fanny pack and kind of, like, platform sandals in an ironic way. We're learning that she is brave and bold. Like, that's kind of her style. It is her style. And can I say, though, that her horse has a better look than me? Like, I'm concerned about myself. When I look at this horse, the Hollyhock horse, retailing for $120, pause for dramatic effect. This horse is bejeweled. It is, I might say, because I'm of a certain vintage, bedazzled. Like, there are jewels in this horse's hair. There are streaks of pink and orange. This horse is more adventurous in its self-presentation than I have ever been. And, you know, that's a challenge to me. Like, I'm watching this horse and I'm like, it's actually beautiful. Yeah, she is. So is the Corgi. The Corgi's 20 bucks. That's more my price range. Very cute. This is if My Little Pony scaled up their dreams. On the Born to Ride spread, we see Hollyhock's extra long mane and tail can be accessorized with clips, gems, and even extensions in pink, blue, and orange. Like... If you kind of had to imagine what Pink would like to own as a horse, that's kind of what she's offering to us here. Absolutely. Uh, They meet each other at horse camp and they bond instantly. I have to assume that like someone is pulling in big money because the fact that she's at horse camp and able to take a horse home. She also has an absolutely beautiful corgi that's also sporting a little bow. This is not Kaya. I'm going to say that like. Kaya was literally fighting for her life with her horse and her dog. That's not going on here. Nope. I mean, the closest that this horse will ever come to fire is like a pyro display at some kind of like dressage event. Like, I don't know. I don't think they do that in dressage. Like, I'll just be candid. That's not like I don't have a lot of experience in that world. But I mean, I'm an admirer. I remember when Bruce Springsteen's daughter got into that and I just was investigating out of that interest. But We also see a gymnastics equipment set, uneven bars, and a balance beam, and it's $115. Again, a little bit out of my price range, but I'm scared even looking at this, and I know it's for a doll. Like, no one's going to be injured here, but I just watched, I don't know if you caught that the World Gymnastics Championships were just on last week, but I was watching some of it, like with Simone Biles and whatnot. It was terrifying. Like the what these women and men like go through, like what the things they put themselves through, apparently Lila as well, like fascinating. 
Lila just joined a competitive gymnastics team to take on new challenges, but will her confidence be high enough to jump from low bar to high bar? Honestly, looking at the scale of this doll relative to the bars, it should be. Like, the bar is not really that high, and I just mean that in, like, truly a literal sense. Like, I think she's going to be okay. These dolls are not flexible enough for this. Like, can we say that? I mean, I was thinking, like, I sort of feel like because she can hold her hands up and hold, there's, like, <laughs> hand holders on the top on uneven, uneven bar. I could see her, like, flipping around that because sure. she doesn't have to do anything, but... Balance beam? Like, I don't know if that's going to work out. No. I Dismount? Don't, I don't think so. I like, hope they I'm stick hopeful. the landing. I'm hopeful, but I'm I'm not sure. Like, I think, honestly, I like that she's multifaceted. And they're like, the multifacetedness is that she has several expensive hobbies. And they're like, please enjoy. Please enjoy. Life in a modern world. She has a lot of expensive hobbies. A lot of expensive accessories. I mean, this horse stable is $175. Like if anyone out there has bought this, like no shade, just write to us. Cause I really want to know like what's I want to see it. Yeah. Like yeah. honestly, like, it's up? coming from all of this, like, you know, the pandemonium, it's all coming from a place of jealousy. Absolutely. No problem. But like, you know, the holiday season is almost upon us. Like, are there things that you're looking at that you were like, were I, you know, like that you would want as gifts for yourself. Like now I'm opening up the entire website for me, catalog for you. Like what is on here that you're like, I would want this. I'm still very drawn to Melody's collection. I think that her accessories are really beautiful. And I think that Mm -hmm. her story is so just one that I really kind of grew to love and appreciate. I also have been seeing a lot of good Julie accessories on the aftermarket and Something Hmm. about her is like the complete rebrand of her me outfit. I have her in the kind of bohemian look, but I really like the classic Julie look with the yellow vest. Like, I think I would maybe be investing in specific accessories more than like a world building thing. I I appreciate that. I really like the accessories, too. I'm looking now I'm looking at the collection. I understand it now because when we went to the store, they had this huge Julie display and we had not read those books. This was like a couple of years ago now. And I was just like shooting hoops in the store. And I think I was making the manager nervous, but (laughs) you know, it's like, this all makes sense now. I'm like, I'm seeing the rabbit. I'm seeing the basketball hoop. I love her home game accessories with the towel with her embroidered name on it and a basketball. Like that's so cute. I think all of, um, you know, Claudie's new accessories, like her winter look, her travel look are both so absolutely gorgeous. Like she Mm. has a bakery set that I really appreciate. You know, seeing a character that we're covering in a catalog again is kind of fun because that wasn't true for a long time. Julie's tagline is, she stands up for girls' rights and wants to be president. Like, I hate to say these books were set 50 years ago. It still feels Uh, quite unlikely. Yeah, it does. R.I.P. I'm looking at um, Nikki and Isabel's accessories again, and I'm like, this is ripped from, like, my pantry, basically. There's, like, a popcorn popper soda cans and like what seems like a blockbuster case and i'm just like wow i'm feeling so nostalgic this was my life i mean also they have the american girl today tea and i'm like do i buy that and wear that to a book event like i said this to you before but i'm like i'm really thinking about it like can i pull that off i, I think that's Is it a weird? great investment i think that's a great investment honestly what I do you know. wear to a book event like somebody tell me i, I really don't know I don't know that the birthstone collection really speaks to me, but I like that they've given us a small character, you know, calendar, like based on characters wearing certain colors. Like, 
I can I appreciate that. You know, I think that's something really cool about the catalog is like you can kind of see like where the brand is trying to experiment. They have this new collector series with what looks like kind of a, a misfit character cast off of Game of Thrones wearing Swarovski crystals. I don't get it, but I don't need to. I respect that. I respect <laughs> like, that. Just because it's not for me doesn't mean I don't think it's like a valuable part of what they're trying to do. And the photos have never been better. Are you seeing this Molly McIntyre hot and cold tumbler with yes, her I've actually, iconic fabric? Yes, I actually purchased one. I purchased <gasps> one of the tumblers, not of Molly, but I purchased a Felicity tumbler. The quality is very good. I purchased some of the stickers. Um, this is not SpawnCon. We're not getting paid a dollar. We should say that. American Girl is not seeking us out. Like they... I've seen some influencers like get dolls, like they get paid to do posts. And I'm like, why aren't we getting that cash? Like, what have we ever done? Have you heard our show? I was going to say, then I think <laughs> about some of our past episodes. Whoops. Um, I think like okay. that call's coming from inside the podcast. Like that's, that's why fair. we know. I mean, we, we kind of know. I sometimes Deep get down. like really in my feelings about it. And then I'm like, yeah, I've heard our show. Okay, whatever. Well, lots of good stuff here. We wait. We await your feedback. Anything else that you want to cover in like a pop culture world? Like anything rocking your world these days? Honestly, Julie and the Eagles. Wow. And the fact that she quotes an Eagles song, Chef Kiss. I think that this book started with like two storyboards. And on one storyboard, it was Julie going to an Eagles concert. And on the other, there was environmental activism. And one clearly won out, but the author said, like, I will get an Eagles reference in here. And you know what? Congrats. She She did did. it. She did. It's sort of a random quote, but she did that. We'll we'll call it out when we get there. But are we ready to jump into this book? I am. I mean, I could talk about the catalog all day, but Julie calls. Let's pick up the little Miss Watergate phone. Let's do it. So this book is the fourth in the Julie series, and I'll just give us the background. There's been some confusion, I'll just say, about when these books are set, but we know for a fact Mm. that this is set in 1976, and we get a birth date to kind of confirm that. Julie and Ivy are eating snow cones in Golden Gate Park when they hear an odd sound. It's a baby owl, and it needs help. At a wildlife rescue center, Julie meets Shasta and Sierra, two bald eagles, Shasta's wing is injured, and Julie hopes he'll be able to fly again, but that can only happen if the rescue center raises enough money to release the eagles back into the wild. Julie feels sure that if people knew about the eagles, they'd want to help. For Earth Day, Julie thinks of a unique way to tell the public of the eagles' plight. But money isn't exactly pouring in, and time is running out. I mean, this book takes on a lot, but I think (laughs) what's really nice is that I think like focusing on the Eagles, it's a very like altruistic birthday book. Like we're not seeing Julie, like, you know how we've read so many birthday books where like the whole book is somebody pining for like a birthday party they really want or a gift. This is like truly a girl who's like, I'm here to save some Eagles, asterisk, not the band. Although she is presumably a fan of the band. When we think about the earliest birthday books and kind of the evolution of the birthday book, I think that maybe there was like some internal sense, right? That like coming right off the heels of a holiday book where like a doll or a specific gift or gifts giving moment is the pinnacle and like the Mm. height of the narrative arc. I think maybe there was a sense that birthdays had to come across as less materialistic 
It mm. would have been like completely reasonable for Julie, a clearly like middle class girl of the 1970s, to want a bunch of things. And I almost wonder if this book had come out last year, if she would want a bunch of things. But instead, like all she wants is to raise money to save the Eagles. And it's a lot of money. It's a thousand dollars. Yeah, which I haven't done that math. But in 1976, how much is nine is a thousand dollars worth? Well, remember, we figured out how much dad was making. But basically, yes. she's trying to net almost like a full salary. She's trying to raise. She a lot is of like. Money. I mean, the swing that this girl takes, like, first of all, we should say, like, I question to you about this book. Is one of the messages of this book that social problems can only be solved by motivated white women with a checkbook? I think that's part of it. I think what was shocking to me was how haphazard and random her activism was. I don't know that Julie, like Julie killed a plant in a previous book. I mean, never forget. She like, I mean, she's in a way that I find incredibly endearing and relatable. She jumps <laughs> from like one cause or obsession to another, which is like very me core. Yeah. But, you know, she jumped from basketball and Title IX into investigative like, journalism investigative journalism will say now she's saving the environment and you know i'm not making light of her like it's a white woman with a checkbook but i mean ultimately it's a different white woman with a checkbook who like takes this over the finish line and we'll get to that but she is like going all out for this with no limit and there's no real explanation of like i think there's like a psychological reading of this book which is that like they're in the park she and ivy go to this park and they see a baby owl. That's like one of the first scenes in the book. Well, they hear something before they see something. Yes. And, you know, they're eating their like snow cones. I respect it. Like really fun day out in the park. First, there's like the butterfly moment where an older woman is like, wow, that's some kind of butterfly. Like she sees a blue butterfly settle on Julie and she's like, that's a blue butter, like whatever blue butterfly. And Julie's like, OMG, this never she happened to me. She says, when I was a girl, we used to go on walks through Muir Woods and we saw Mission Blues everywhere. Too bad we don't see more of them nowadays. Foreshadowing. Did you feel, you know, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, a conspiracy theorist on TikTok. I do feel like there are ways to read the Julie series, especially. Do we have to pick one flavor or can we get a rainbow? There's like a lot of rainbow in this book, if I may. A lot of rainbow. I mean, uh, taking us back to when we went to the store, I was like, so again, we had no knowledge of who Julie was. Like I'd heard of her, but I didn't know anything about her. So I'm like, okay, so she's from like 1974, lives in San Francisco, loves rainbows, basketball. I'm like, but for the setting, like and the time period, like this could be my life. Like there was something about it where I'm like, is this all supposed to like mean something? Wink, wink, like think there is some kind of openness that if you wanted to read queerness into this book, you certainly could. And I, I mean, I've been doing that privately the whole time because it just feels like it to me. I think it jumps out. You know, I do feel like it's there with these books in a very real way. And, you know, I, I find it endearing. It's been sweet. So the start of this series, right, if we go back to book one, is Julie reeling from her parents' divorce and the split of the family into an apartment and a home, respectively. And partway through this book, I thought, gosh, I'm kind of relieved to be away from that story because I don't feel like we were progressing and we were getting kind of bogged down in like, what did dad do or not do? And like, how mm -hmm. does this all fit together? 
cut to Julie becoming involved in wildlife rehabilitation. And in place of mom and dad, we meet Shasta and Sierra, two eagles who are in captivity. Shasta and Sierra are very clear stand-ins for her parents. And it's like, will they make it? Will they be able to nurture their children? Because they have two children. They have two children. And before we even get... I was going to say, the psychological (laughs) reading of this book is like Julie inserts herself into healing a fractured eagle family. And she's like investing a lot into reuniting this family, keeping them safe and returning them to the wild. And she even gets there by like, they hear this noise after they have like the butterfly convo. It's a baby owl. They t- the older lady is like, take it to the Randall Museum. They have like a rescue. They go there and meet Robin, who's a grad student, who's like likely not being paid enough for any of this. Robin and she's Young. like, on Robin Young on the nose, a bit on the nose, but we're here for it. And she's like very mentor nurturing to Julie and very sweet. And Julie's like coming in at 11. Like Ivy immediately like dislocates herself from this entire narrative and is like, I hope the owl makes it, peace. And Robin's like, yeah, so the owl's been poisoned. We hope it makes it, see ya. And Julie's like, no, I need to come back and get a follow-up. And Julie immediately is like there all the time. And Robin lets her meet these eagles cut to Shasta and the other one, and they have two babies. And then that gives us, I'm going to say it, Allison, the most disturbing illustration I've ever seen in an American girl book. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm even including that illustration of the dead man in the cave in the Kirsten books. Shout out to Renee if you did that. But I mean, okay, this is on for my copy. I turned to this and I literally was like, I knew what it was because the text prepares you the, the previous page, but I was like, what am I even looking at? Page 25. I don't have words for this, Allison. I don't. I loved it. I'm just going to be honest with you. I loved it. Having I was to- into it, but I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this girl is not okay. Like, I mean, if she's an animal lover, that's one thing. This is beautiful. So what we're looking at, listeners, is Julie holding an e- fake eagle head that she, puppet that she's using to feed the baby so that it doesn't latch on to her and can like, you know, latch on to like an eagle feed being the thing that feeds her so they can return to the wild. But you're literally looking at Julie holding an eagle puppet head feeding cut up fish to a small baby eagle. And it's just a lot. Like God bless Freckles. I'm happy Freckles made it, but I'm like, I guess I just wasn't ready. Like it was like, whoa, what am I looking at here? Julie does sort of, I think what I liked about this book, right, is in the previous book where she kind of falls into Ivy's world for a short period of time. Now we're kind of getting this pattern. Like Julie is really into everything for a season. Like Mm -hmm. she had New Year. Now it's spring. Spring has sprung. She's into butterflies. She's into screech owls. She's at the wildlife rehab center. She's gearing up for Earth Day. When she sees the puppet, right, she knows that fish is out to feed baby freckles. A bald eagle puppet. It looks just like Shasta and Sierra. It does not, first of all. It does not remotely look like the parents at all. And Robin gives her this bit of a demonstration. I think what I like about this is that it captures something very funny also about this time period. No one tracks what Julie is doing until she's nine tenths of the way done. Like Julie embarks on this entire struggle to actually enforce Title IX and to be able to play basketball. And her parents are like, gosh, we weren't really in that with you, but good work. 
right? Like great job. No one is fully tracking this. And then Julie's investment, right, really does seem to come out of like the blue butterfly. Like she has no previous interest. What I also loved is that there's kind of a Forrest Gumpism to this world. Like every time we interact with Hank, who is a very much like side small character, he takes on some quality that's relevant to Julie. This time when we see Hank, he's a Vietnam veteran who works at a center nearby. He's planting a tree because of course he is. Right. Like suddenly he's Hank's like very invested in Earth Day, which becomes like this theme of the book is like, oh, like Earth Earth Day was created in 1970. Right. And the Endangered Species Act is 1973. So like, of course, this like works out for the time period of this book. But like suddenly Hank's like, yeah, of course, I also do Earth Day promo. And Julie would have grown up with Earth Day because she is turning 10. She's double digits, as she reminds everybody. So for as long as she can really remember, Earth Day is part of her life and her culture, I would say probably especially where she lives, right? And maybe an area where people are a bit more activated than some other parts of the country. So there are adults in her life who are really interested. I did also really like, and I saw some reviews that didn't appreciate this. I liked the way Robin explained to her, you know, no, like you sort of misunderstood the owl had not fallen from a nest. This kind of owl would live in a tree. But what this owl is facing is the consequences of DDT. And yes, I just have to assume that because Julie had read the Title IX legislation, she's read Silent Spring. So she's like, yeah, of course, of course, of course, not even a question. Yeah. And Hank's also maybe done some neighborhood literacy about the dangers (laughs) of chemicals and warfare. He's like, oh, obviously. Yeah. He's like, obviously. I mean, yeah, that was sort of like very deftly handled, I thought, or just like very subtle. And then we move on because I was like, wait, this owl was poisoned by what? And then we get the answer to that question. It's like all of us slash the built environment slash DVT. Um, I think like it is interesting the way that the book introduces the idea that like we like human beings living with the environment has, you know, has a price for animals and for generally speaking, the environment. I really like the scene. Like, again, as you're saying, Julie's the ultimate latchkey kid. Like the beginning of the book, she and Ivy are like, let's go on our bikes like to this park. And her mom is like, well, she's like, yeah, my mom told me there's flowers in this park. And they're like, "Okay," like never tell anyone they're leaving. They just peace out. And it feels like she's very self-directed, but I do like that Tracy just has her license now. Like we just arrive at that and she's talked by Julie into driving her to a place Robin told her about that is like has displaced the Eagles in the first place, like a, a community, I guess, or like a suburb question mark. Yeah. So Julie becomes inspired to go visit the place which is a construction site that Robin has referenced once, right? Once. You know, no map quest, you know, just- No address either. She was like, it's in Marin County. And Julie's like, got it. And like, let's go, Tracy, get in the car. I'm taking you to this like very specific, you know, building site. The unspoken thing is like, we don't need GPS. Like we have generational trauma and we will just go. Like we'll get in the car, we will go. Celestial navigation. I don't know. I mean, they got there. I don't know how they got there, but. They get there and they effectively confront the person running the site, right? And he says like, oh, like you're not our new backhoe operator. And she's like, no, I'm not. Actually, I'm here to do some confronting and what she's there for 
is to basically have a conversation about the fact that this new settlement, this new like housing area in Marin, which is basically absorbing excess population from the city, from San Francisco, is going to provide homes, but is also displacing some of the animals. And I feel like from book one, where the gym teacher took her not seriously at all, we've seen some growth, right? Like this wasn't a caricature. This was a person kind of actually interested in what Julie had to say. Yes. And it's interesting that basically Robin has planted a seed in Julie of like some action item that Julie can work on because Julie needs to channel her frustrations to something practical, like something she can do to help. And so they she has landed on the fact that they need, is it a thousand dollars to build a, um, a tower? What's the official phrase for that? to release the eagles on so that they can acclimate back to um, the environment. And, you know, it's kind of like a something to ease them back into living, making nests in the wild, et cetera. But that's going to cost the Department of Fisheries and Wildlife a thousand bucks to construct. And we're on a race against time because if they're in captivity too long, they can't, they won't be able to return. So Julie's like, I'm heading out to the construction site. I'm going to tell this guy what's up that he caused this, and I'm going to get some money towards the tower, basically. I feel like this is also hinting at, you know, a larger question of, like, who should fund what in society? Because yes. the Fish and Wildlife Service, that's federal, right? So why is Julie mm-hmm. cutting them a check? Like, why is this little yeah. local nonprofit and this girl in elementary school having to fundraise by something that should be backed up by the federal government? That's question one. And then honestly, the fact that like this construction manager, he does actually come through later. I guess I had questions like if Robin is working for free, like where is the money going in this institution? I would love to know. I mean, I looked up this museum and it's run by the city. Oh, it's so real. It like this, it's a real place and um, it's run by the city and it was originally founded in what had been a jail, which oh. is interesting. So it's kind of like interesting to think about like the long life of spaces in a city but i mean is the city that in the budget like that derelict like can we get hank involved like does he know what's going on can he kind of like you know bend some elbows down in city hall like see what's what's up like to me this doesn't seem like a city expense like to your point i'm like can't the federal government like hit us with a grant or something like where's dad first of all like dad basically swoops in dad write a check I mean, dad makes a yes. joke about how, like, it's not always the right time to fly, where his mom <laughs> immediately pulls out the catalog and is willing to help Julie with a fundraising scheme. I was like, isn't that the way? Which can we also say, I just have questions about mom's business, Glad Rags. Like, you know, we'll, we'll give free spawn to her store because I don't, I have to support a woman in business. Oh, but yeah. Julie goes to school and the teacher's like, what are we all going to do for Earth Day? And Julie sort of like convinces everyone to get on board with her idea that she's like, to use dad's maybe expression, building the plane as she flies, where she's like, well, we could like raise money for this tower. We're going to save the eagles. Everyone's like, bake sale. And she's like, we need a thousand bucks. And they're like, um... And they're like, somebody was like, we're going to release balloons that we'll charge people for. And then J, what's his name? JR, JT is like, but that's make more litter. And the teacher's like, good call. And they land on like flying kites that people can buy. And mom basically is like, I'm here to support you. No problem. I even think I have a kite in this catalog that has an eagle on it. And my question is, if this woman's entire business is upcycling 
recycled clothing and goods. Why does she have a wholesale catalog that makes it seem like she's ready to drop ship from Alibaba at the drop of the hat. <laughs> I think you like what it, what's mom. happening here? I think mom is willing to do what she needs to do. I also think she's in a clandestine relationship with Hank, who may or may not 100%. be. hundred percent. Hank is like planning a tree outside her store. It's like, come on, Hank, like be less, like do less, be subtle. What if Hank is actually part of like shutting down leftist movements and he actually works for the FBI? <laughs> I yeah, did love that he's an he was insider. Like, it's a red flowering gum tree. Like he's thinking way into the future about his relationship with mom. He really is. He's like, I'm going to see this tree bloom, baby. I haven't looked up, but I'm like, do trees have poetic meanings like flowers? Where I was like, red gum tree. Like, does that mean like I love you, but it's complicated because I was in Vietnam? Like, I think red it means gum I tree love you, but I'm actually weaning. a spy. I think that's what it means. Oh, it's been called miracle tree and noxious weed. Okay, well that's Hank. In that's not show. good. It's known for wood, shelter, landscaping, and for their presumed curative powers. There we go. Here it is. Mildred Woodacre, who is another like important minor character, she starts off as the unnamed lady. She's very much like Pigeon Lady in Home Alone. And then we get a backstory. 100%. Like she's a wealthy person who's actually super invested in this. And she sees Julie wearing the Eagle t-shirt and she's like absolutely amazed. Mrs. Woodacre, if I may, she does come in clutch at the last minute. She could have solved this problem from the jump. Like, I'm not trying to literally, hate on her, but like, no, but I'm sorry. Like, also, Robin, what the hell are you doing? That, like, you basically like pump Julie up to go to a construction site and confront no an adult in what, like, could have been termed eco terrorism. Like, I mean, or just like not a fair fight. Julie is there with Tracy, who's probably like, question mark, what, what's happening? Robin, meanwhile, like stays back in the museum. Then like Julie's like, good news. Like he might send us, like he might give us construction materials. Then she's like bringing in a major donor, like bringing in a class, like <laughs> seems to be doing a lot of the event planning for Earth Day. And I'm like, I hope Robin's not paid because basically what she's done is like firm out her labor to a child. And I know it's a cooperative effort. And I do think like the community activism around this is really beautiful, but it's also just like inviting a lot of questions. Like guys, there has to be an easier way but I don't know. I mean, it's like, what do you do when the government like absolves itself of responsibility for the environment? And it's like down to like Miss Woodacre to cut a check. It's Mrs. Woodacre, Robin Young, Julie Albright, a very charismatic TV reporter and Hank. Like that's the whole structure Thrill. holding this society together. I mean, honestly, like a lot was invested in getting Julie and the and Robin on the morning show or like basically the Earth Day celebration happens or selling the kites for five bucks each. And even that is a fundraiser. I'm like, how do you think we're going to get to a thousand dollars off five dollar kites? So my like we don't have the inventory like again, mom, like I don't know. I mean, I we don't know what kind of loan she got from the bank. We never got any follow up on that, but I'm rooting for her. My understanding is that you are paying $5 really just to use the kite to be part of the day. Okay. So like anyone could just give money, but they didn't get, we're not at $1,000. It's a tax write-off and it only raises a few hundred. Without Mrs. Whitaker, we never get this platform. We never get this tower. And then basically like what I found fascinating. So the news team is there to cover the Earth Day celebration in the park and Julie gets on the news basically. But that guy was so slick where they were like, 
are you the weatherman? And he was like, sure am. And they're like, can you say what you say about the when it rains? And he has some expression. And I was like, I don't know if this is as slick as he like thinks it is. So the conversation involves TJ, who kind of floats in and out. Like TJ and Ivy are yes. kind of very minor in this book. They get a little sound clip from Julie. And then there's a conversation with Joe Smiley. And his tagline is, it's raining catfish and frogs out there this morning. Better take the boat to work. And what? I think maybe because this is San Francisco, that hits different. I can't corroborate that. But Like if he was in New Orleans, I'd be like, okay. But like this guy's in San Fran. I'm like, what the, what? I think it's I don't misty know. and foggy daily. So that's probably the silly. Right. right. I mean, maybe that's, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why he's in local TV and not. Wow. No, that's harsh. actually, that's extremely hard. I'm joking. That's extremely hard to get into. I do think there's a, a subtle argument in this book that your name is your destiny. Like Julie Albright is destined to make the world brighter. Mr. Smiley, wow. he's like, yeah, I was born like that. Like, that's my given name. I was born this way. Woodacre, wow. Robin Young. Like, everyone's name connects to something. That's interesting. That seems plausible to me. I also think that it's fascinating that, so, like, we have this event. They're flying the kites. She gets on the news. We're, like, tragically a few hundo short of a thousand bucks. We've also glossed over that one of the Eagle babies died. We did. And yeah. Robin delivers that news. Julie starts crying, understandably, tearing up. And, you know, we're down to, like, one baby Eagle. And it's at the vet. It's not doing well when we're going into this fundraiser. So to get the news that we have not reached $1,000, like the emotions of that, again, psychologically, Julie's trying to save her own family in eagle form, fraught. So Shasta and Sierra are mom and dad. The eaglet who unfortunately passes away is Tracy because she has died metaphorically within the family. This desperation yes. to save Freckles is about Julie trying to reclaim her own future. There is a line Correct. that is like actually haunting and there's a beautiful illustration of an eagle. It's when oh Julie boy. makes eye contact with Shasta, who's clearly her father in animal form. <sighs> Julie looked into Shasta's intense yellow eyes and shivered. She could sense the wildness in him. She couldn't bear the thought of him spending the future, uh, spending the rest of his life in a cage. Like, whoa, the cage has been made by dad for dad, but the cage is like his lies. Yep. Dad can get out of the cage the moment he wants to. Like, there's always a chance he could fly, but will he truly get away from himself? Never. No. And Julie's at war with herself because she doesn't want dad to fly because then he'd be around more and maybe the marriage wouldn't have suffered. But she knows dad can't be caged, just like Shasta, you might say. Correct. I mean, I also have a proposal about this book that I want to throw out to you, which is like, is this actually a book about the bicentennial that is like the story that the author believed could is the only way that like authentically Hank and everyone else could engage with that event where it's like, oh, like we don't really want to make it about like the government. Like we're all still living through Watergate, even though like Hank is apparently like, again, quoting Nixon as an inspirational person in book one. Because he's a plant. But they're like, what's, he's a plant. So like, basically he's like, what can like my cover story support? (laughs) And he's like, sure, Earth Day, like the environment. Everyone (laughs) feels good about trees, about butterflies, about eagles. And like, we're all trying to save this national symbol. And it, it like, basically Julie's like, this is as close as I'm willing to get 
to the bicentennial. So I do believe in the next book, she rides a horse for a bicentennial celebration. Okay, I take it all so back. So I think but... I think Megan McDonald like had visions for each book. I think she's just like screaming at us. She's like, I will put a shovel in Hank's hand and dare you not to call him a plant. <laughs> she's like, I will also I'm just you. like ask mom out already. Like clearly <laughs> you like her. Like enough. Like I'm just saying. Like I'm trying to write a Hallmark movie into this whole thing, but. Like this woman like is trying to start her business and she's like having to eat the cost of all these kites. Like I'm concerned about her, like the economic interest. I'm like, dad, if you were worth your salt, you would have offered to buy these kites. I guess my question, uh, you know, of many people in this book, like what was Robin's plan before Julie dropped in with an additional mouth to Ooh. eat? Like what was the plan for all of this? Because we learned that Shasta and Sierra are actually in danger. Like, they are actually in danger yeah. of never being able to fly again. And I guess also, like, where was Mrs. Woodacre? Like, why did it take a chance encounter with Julie? And if you think I'm being too harsh on this book, I absolutely adored this book. I just think this is a fun. fascinatingly different book from Addie Saves the Day, right? Where Addie saves, literally, like, she saves a collection of money that has been undertaken mm -hmm. by her church community from being stolen. And there's like a very real sense that adults and structures around Addie, that they are infallible or that they are not infallible, right? Like that things can go wrong, but that Addie has a specific role to play. You really feel as though these eagles were goners without Julie having a butterfly effect land on her shoulders. Yes. Absolutely. And it's sort of, it, it, like, to your point, it's like, what was the museum planning on doing? Because they were like, these eagles are going to have to live in a zoo pretty soon unless we get them back in the wild. Very expensive solution to this. We're not hearing, like, we've applied for every grant we possibly could <laughs> and been turned down. Or, like, you know what I mean? And instead, no. it's like we have, like, future development, you know, fundraiser, Julie Albright, like, checking in and being like, well, thank God this <laughs> nine-year-old, like, came along and saved the day. It's just sort of odd. I think like sometimes it's interesting to see how they weigh like empowering a child at the expense of like the believability of what adults around her would or would not be doing to solve the same problem because this sort of suggests like no one was like really doing anything active. You would also maybe believe Robin's like the only person at the museum, which <laughs> could be true, but it's like- Or this is a front. It's, you know. And Robin and Mrs. Wow. Woodacre are actually like passing money through to like throw off Hank. I don't know. Ooh. I, I was kind of hoping Julie would do an Aaron Brockovich and like take some water and like make the mayor drink it and be like, this water is the same water that poisoned the baby owl because it has DDT runoff and the mayor like does a spit take and is like, bah, and she's like, see, <laughs> like you do know it's poison. But you know, this was also good. I think Julie, you know, choosing to make her birthday a moment, like a learning moment, an opportunity. She's like, it's not a call out. It's a call in. Come to my 10th birthday. That's right. I love that the co-hosts are Shasta, Sierra and Freckles. Love it. I love that she hand wrote the invitations in cursive. Like so cute. So relatable. Would you go to this party? Bring your own beach blanket to Muir Beach? Like, would you go? 
Um, I love the beach, so I would absolutely go. Um, I don't, I would love to know what the food is. That's not in the invitation. I always like to know like what's the snack situation gonna be. But I usually in those situations, like I bring something. So I don't have a problem with that, but would you have attended this party? I would because I love a May Day celebration. I do feel as though this whole family is tapped out after the fundraising for this platform. Like we just barely eked it out, right? The tight timeline between April 20th to May 1st, right? Like we just barely got there. I just also love that dad's solution to everything is he's like, I will buy you something like Christmas not going well. I will buy you an expensive afternoon out. All of these other times, like dad buying the tape recorder, he buys her binoculars, which she also appreciates. Like dad and Hank are trying to send a message about surveillance and she's not getting it. She's like, oh, yeah, this well, is perfect interesting because it's like dad's willing to throw money at the problem of parenthood. And Hank is like a surrogate mentor, friend, future mom's boyfriend is like willing to put time into the things that he's doing. Maybe he doesn't have the money, but I mean, he's like planting trees. He's He did talk to Julie and listen about her problems in a way that dad perhaps is not. Was it tough that his answer was to quote Richard Nixon as a motivational moment? Like, yeah, I'm still not beyond that, but he tried. I apologize. We do know the menu. It's great. It's chicken kebabs, potato salad, and lemonade. Yeah, that sounds great. I think it all sounds very good. I think it's like a pleasant day, like the water in the ocean is cold, but they're not interested in that. Like they're looking up, they're singing the Eagles, put me on a highway, show me a sign, take it to the limit. Julie's ready to be 10. It's really weird that take it to the limit is the Eagle song that they choose to go with here. Like, I don't really know what to make of that. And the Eagles to me, it seems like not something a nine-year-old would be invested in of like anything out there in 1976. But maybe it's like her dad loves Eagles and it's something they bonded over. Like, I don't know. I'm really like workshopping in my head. Like, what is it about the Eagles that is calling to Julie? So I went on a few key resources to get, you know, my facts straight in preparing for this episode. One of those was eagles.org. Like I went to the official source about where eagles are now. And I also went to the website for the eagles and the Wikipedia page for the eagles, the band. By the time Julie was turning 10 years old, the eagles was having kind of like their first victory lap. They were created Mm. as a band in 1971. And by 1976, they put out their first album of their greatest hits thus far. And it remains one of the best sellers of all time in this country. That's correct. Yep. Lots going on with the Eagles. Like, um, my God, what's her name? Uh, she's saying Blue Bayou. That's kind of Linda like Ronstadt? they were her backing band. Yeah, Linda Ronstadt. They were like her backing band. There's a great documentary about her, by the way. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about like you know, it explores her whole career there. The Eagles are in it as talking heads and like talked about how like much they liked working with her. And then they were like, anyway, we started writing songs on the road and we were like, peace, like we're doing our own band, whatever. But like Desperado, a lot of people know Desperado from that episode of the sign of Seinfeld. Um, I am not a huge fan of the Eagles, which like I hope is not controversial, but some of their songs just like drive me crazy and I don't know why. But I'm also, I think, like still smarting on behalf of Stevie Nicks, who once like dated and was wronged by Don Henley, the drummer of the Eagles. So like that's, you know, those are my cards on the table. I don't know if that's like a bad take. What about bald Eagles? I'm open to them. Oh, I like the bald Eagle (laughs) Muppet. 
I'm open to them. They have not wronged Stevie Nicks so far as I know. What about you? Are you a fan of the bald eagle? Huge. Have you seen an eagle in real life? Possibly, question mark. Have you? I've had some wonderful moments with eagles. I really have. I've had some great times. I was on a birding walk last spring and an eagle came down. It was just like a perfect crescendo to the walk. It was a birding venture. I love to see an eagle. I've been to Alaska where they are far more prevalent than other parts of the United States. Like safe to say, like we've done pretty good work with the eagle, like not a lot of other things, but something I think this book explains like in a very uncomplicated way that's very helpful I think a lot of times we think of issues with animals as being direct, like poaching, right? But what Mm -hmm. this book is showing in actually a very sophisticated way is it's a series of dominoes. And they even use that language. It's a series of things happening. It's crops being destroyed, right? Or being, you know, filled with these poisons that go up the food chain. It's the fact that people are building houses and destroying ecosystems. I thought that was really smart. Like this is a subtlety we don't usually see, especially in a birthday book. Yeah, I really like that too, because I think, you know, it helps kids understand like the impact of things that they probably see in their day-to-day life on, you know, animals that they may not see in their day-to-day life who like share habitat with them or whatnot. And I think that that's really interesting. It was making me think about like Facebook groups in my area now where people are reporting pictures of bears that are like, coming through people's neighborhoods because their habitats are being kind of eliminated or disrupted. And, you know, in a similar way, it's like, I wonder if those are like learning moments for kids about the environment in a similar way. Who knows? I think the fact that the construction workers are not made out to be a kind of cartoonish enemy, Mm -hmm. I think was helpful. Right. And I also think the fact that they're showing a multifaceted approach that it's about planting trees and thinking about wildlife and thinking about the fact that people do need places to live. I think in like very recent years after this book has come out, there's been some rethinking around the Rachel Carson story as people tell it. And I'll really highly recommend a book called um, The Myth of Silent Spring, which is by Chad Montry. And it reframes this idea that there was sort of like minimal to, you know, non-existent environmental activism, particularly among rural people or working people until Rachel Carson, when in fact, Mm. right, like we know from stories like Aaron Brockovich, it tends to be working people who see the side Mm -hmm. effects of industry and see the side effects of things like DDT long before activists see it. So I'll recommend that book. I think that kind of recasts some of this. It doesn't deny the power of the book, but it says, you know, working Mm -hmm. people have understood this for a long time. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. It also makes me think of our friend Amy Lizelle's upcoming book Mm -hmm. on um, Puerto Rican textile workers and also like reframing how we see Norma Ray um, and like, you know, like relocating or re-understanding like working class activist movements, um, especially among women. So I'm really looking forward to her book. Um, but it also, I think a strength of this book is putting Julie at the center and kind of documenting, like reclaiming like kids as activists that do meaningful work in environmental movements. Like we think about like Greta and like all of these young people or younger people now like doing this work. And I kind of feel like Julie kind of like reclaims a history of like, you know, kids have long been interested, I think, in the environment and like calling out a lot of these issues. Melody, you know, is a kind of perfect predecessor to this story because what Melody is doing in the community garden is also environmental activism, right? Like she cares about the fact that there aren't 
ample green spaces for kids to play in. I think there was a choice at some point, you know, whether it was an outright, you know, let's change the whole orientation. But this idea that your birthday is a moment to make people care about a cause. Facebook Mm -hmm. has definitely capitalized on this to get you to give money, anything under the meta platform to make your birthday a fundraiser as opposed to a moment when people celebrate you. That is something that's kind of missing from this story. Like Julie gives this 100% and there isn't a moment where people congratulate her. And I don't think that that would be out of place to say you are really the person who rallied all these different communities and constituents to make this thing happen. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's in some ways like one of the most inspiring things in the book. And I think the power of these books too, like it actually did remind me of Kaya in a sense, because the Kaya books I think are really great at um, showing an understanding of like the impact of people on the natural, natural world and like sustainability issues and all this kind of stuff. And I do think like you could do a collection of, of historic American girl books. That's like environmental or showing like relationships to your own community in the built world. And I think that would be kind of cool, kind of interesting. What did you make of the peek into the past? Like, how did you read that section? Was that kind of new information to you? Or did you feel like that that tracked with what you've heard about environmental movements? Um, It wasn't new information to me. I felt like it's once again, like really trying to play down the middle Mm. of like politics because it talks about the Endangered Species Act of 1973. And, you know, something that's sort of like interesting about our timing of reading these books is like in the past few months, Republican um, Congress people and lawmakers across the country, Ohio, different places have been trying to like question the Endangered Species Act and um, kind of like roll it back in many ways, which I think would be a surprise to people in 1973. So and the peek into the past kind of like offers an accommodating description of like critics of it like like um it has um an example of uh lumberjacks in oregon who protested the protection of a forest that they were going to cut down and said like basically we lost or this like impacted our livelihood directly you know and just sort of like raising awareness about that which i take that point and yet like i didn't really know what to do with that i'm like did we need to have like both sides of like the endangered species act of 1973 I think also, I know there's new work coming out on this, but he's written about this previously. Eric Loomis, who is a pretty well-known labor historian, this is what he writes about. He writes about loggers and environmental movements. And again, I think there's kind of this like definitely, you know, born out of the 1990s, like you're either an environmentalist or a capitalist. And actually a lot of things have been Mm. greenwashed and hijacked, right? And, you know, things that seem like they are environmentally sound are actually more about making money and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So the claim here is that there's tens of thousands of loggers in Washington and Oregon state who lose their jobs because of protections under the Endangered Species Act. And I feel like a lot of labor historians are trying to show now there's actually been a lot of times where different people in unions or labor movements have worked really closely with environmental activists. And we just don't have that in our cultural consciousness. So this kind of reiterates like you're either a person who like shops at the right places and you care about the right causes or you're trying to Mm -hmm. keep a certain kind of job, you know, like the past few election cycles. you get jobs or you get to extract these resources. And I think there's actually different kinds of accommodations than what are being presented here. Cause you're right, this definitely plays down the middle quite a bit. 
I just don't like it when it does that because it sort of emphasizes like there's a binary, like you're either for or against this topic. And as you're saying, it's a lot more nuanced, as are most things. Like I also am still thinking about earlier peaks into the past in this series where they refuse to use the word feminism. And I find that really strange, even from a historical standpoint, like women in this time were using that word. So why not use that word or like women's movement and sort of contextualize both kind of like the legacies of that, like both positive and negative and not make it about like, I believe in this or that, or like force people into binaries and how people reacted to like legitimate movements or like, you know, concerns people had in those times. I think it's just like a very weird white glove, like kid glove approach to talking about history that, you know, Rob kid, Rob's kids of a the means of talking about issues in a more complicated way, which I think kids are absolutely capable of grasping. Do you think that's why Julie, across these first four books, she's kind of shopping around for an activist identity, right? Like we haven't really gotten a solid sense of what she stands for across time, other than the fact that she's very confident, right? She's always very sure that she can make a change. But for example, this environmentalist streak, it, it there's no precedent, really. Mm-hmm. Unless yeah, I'm there's nothing to have prepared us for this. No. And I'm not I'm not against it, but I think part of this is also about being young and feeling that confidence that you can change things and we're seeing where she feels empowered. But there isn't a sense explicit in the book that it's because she is an empowered young girl. That's just kind of right. like, except for the title nine part, just a piece of her identity. Well, I also think it's kind of of her age, I guess, too, to be the kind of person who's like, oh, I'm like really interested in this this week. And the next week, something else like comes into your world and you're like, wow, I'm really interested in this this week. So I think, you know, that's like totally normal kid behavior. And like for some of us adults, like, you know, adult behavior, too. And that's fine. But yeah, I mean, I think also the, you know, an extension of that is that you don't really have to see her navigate like deeper commitment to something and like maybe um, contradictions that come up for her and how she behaves herself or whatever. I mean, I think that would be come out if we were staying with her through basketball through five or six bucks or something like that. And like her navigating being on a team with all boys and like, what does that feel like? And you know, like we just kind of move it on. We moved on from that. And I suspect we're moving on from the environmental piece. <laughs> Would you live in a tree for two years to support your that the pandas? Would that you? gave me like flashbacks because I remember that I do too. Uh, they talked about what's her name? Her name is Julia Butterfly Hill, and she climbed up a two hundred foot tall redwood to prevent it from being cut down for logging, and she lived there for two years. I absolutely know. This relates back to what we were talking to off air, where Anna is watching some person on TikTok who is like living in a van by choice and traveling the country. And she gives these like updates where she gives you tours of her van and stuff. And I've been compelled to see many of these. And and one of them, she's like, here's my compost toilet. No. And she did a Q&A with another person who's doing this, two women. And they were basically answering people's questions like on the fly. And someone was like, well, how, how often do you empty the toilet? And they're like, I don't know, like maybe every month. And then one woman was like, well, I had COVID. I was at a campsite where everyone had COVID. I was the only person with a bathroom. So people kept coming into my van to use the bathroom while she was in there with COVID. And I'm like, I'm sorry, these people are choosing to do this. This is not an economic necessity. It's a choice. It's often these vans look very expensive to me. They are. And then this woman's up in a tree for two years. And I'm like, I can't even fathom the bathroom situation. I think it's a bucket on a rope pulley <laughs> system. And I'm like, I think I've looked into this before. 
And look, I celebrate her commitment. Like I can't imagine something that I would be that committed to that I'm willing to live in a tree for two years. But I'm like, this is one of those moments where I'm like, I've hit my own personal boundary, like my own limitation. I have to own that. I think that I just need so many little creature comforts. I don't think that I could be in the tree. I also support it. I think today, right? Like maybe the amount of time she'd need to be in the tree would be shorter because she could start a grassroots campaign faster on a viral web campaign. Like I want to believe that. I love there's so many little moments in this book where I felt like the attention to detail was smart. You mentioned it previously, but you know, the way that a child suggests that they have balloons go up into the air And the teacher kind of asking them to think about, well, what do you think happens to those balloons, right? We're trying to save Mm -hmm. birds. I like that this wasn't a book about chiding people or making people feel guilt for decisions that they weren't part of, but asking them to say, what are decisions you are making and what autonomy do you have? And you know, if you're Mrs. Woodacre, can you write that $500 check? Why did we wait? Nonetheless, we got the money in time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think this book was very sweet and I loved the attention to detail. I thought it really like sucked you into her world and I felt like we went on this journey with her. Was I nervous when she took herself to a construction site to confront an adult about the Eagles? Yes, yeah, I, was, I was, but didn't feel great about that. But she came through it. The Eagles have survived forever. May they wave. I hope they're okay. And I just want to suggest as like an ending point, like if you really want to cry, go watch when Dolly Parton shows up as a surprise guest at the Newport Folk Festival a couple years ago, and she sings with the Highway Women, she's an eagle when she flies, which is a classic Dolly Parton song. Dolly's obsessed with eagles, amongst other things, and butterflies. So I was really feeling Dolly in this book. I feel like she would approve, but it is so beautiful. It always makes me cry, and I'm like, If you needed gorgeous. a break from the parents, you got it. And I will say this. The puppet sent me for other reasons. I just finished reading. It's probably one of my top two books of the year, Shark Heart, the premise of which is a woman's husband in their first year of marriage reveals that he is turning into a whitehead shark. And this woman must deal with the ramifications of that. It is probably one of my favorite novels I've ever read. No exaggeration. It's definitely one of my tops for this year. If that puppet made you think, what would happen if someone close to me turned into a bird? That is a book for you. I'm scared of that recommendation, but I'm also intrigued by it. Okay. Don't be scared because you're probably not going to turn into a shark. But now if you are, you will have thought through that process. Okay. I love it. All right. That sounds good. Okay, that sounds, I take this seriously. I will definitely check this out. Um, I don't really have a book (laughs) recommendation off the dome for you right now. I'm still reading, like, I get onto a writer I really like and I start reading all their books. So I'm still reading, like, Val McFarlane, who's a mystery writer I really like, going back and reading a lot of her um, books. But yeah, that sounds wonderful. I will I will check that out. And of course, Freaks and Gleeks, which was a history of teen TV shows, which we're covering for our Patreon this month. Really enjoyed that. Um, so if people want to get in touch with us, um, also please pre-order the book if you've not done so. Join us at our virtual event November 6th with Margaret Lyons. We're excited for that. If you come to that event as part of your ticket, you will get a copy of the book mailed to you the next day when the book comes out with a signed book plate from both of us. We will also be in person at Boston Public Library on November 9th, um, that Thursday, and at Connecticut Museum for History and Culture on November 16th. All of those details are on our website, 
dollsofourlivespod.com. Allison, any other info on where people can reach you and reach the show? I'm at EaglesFan1976 or Allison Horrocks on, you know, all the different platforms. I'm very easy to reach on Instagram. Dolls Lives Podcast is also there and we have a website. Mary, if people can't send a message to you via Eagle Carrier, like how should they find you instead? You know, Taylor Swift's also an Eagles fan. I'll just like leave mm-hmm. that there. We didn't get into that. Not the sports line, team. But not the sports team. Although maybe. That's her we brother don't know, in law. But maybe. Wow. I know so um, many things about sports. You really do. It, it, I come to you all the time for this knowledge. But um, I love hearing from people. I actually, I didn't tell you this, Allison. I went to Who Weekly Live last week in Boston. And randomly, a listener was seated right next to me and introduced herself at the end of the show. It was such a highlight. You know, it was Ooh. great to meet Amanda. Amanda? And I, was, I love that. I'll, yeah. And um, Amanda, you're really a them. Fun. I'm kidding. Obviously. You're a them. You're obviously a them to us. And somebody else sent me, um, I think Lily is her name, a, a post of an airline called Freelandia, which was like a very misguided hippie airline that lasted a year. Love that. But if you want to reach me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney, that's probably the best place. But also, I guess if you see me at a podcast taping, like, please <laughs> say hi. And I really look forward to meeting folks at these events. I hope people um, show up, show out. We'd love to meet you. And yeah, I guess that's it. And we'll see you on our next episode.